0: Welcome to a new season of With Open Mouths, where we sit down with artists, curators, poets and performers to learn from their creative journeys. Their practices embody making space, building community, finding voice and crossing the boundaries intended to keep us apart. I'm your host, Conita Lilla, Associate Curator, Art of Africa at Agnes Etherington Art Centre. Today I speak from Kataraquay, a place where there is clay or a place where there is limestone, where Agnes Etherington Art Centre is situated. It is within the territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee and Huron-Wendat and is home to many members of the Métis Nation. I moved from Kataraquay, from a people in South Africa who were stolen from their own lands and made to labour under the brutality first of the Dutch and then of British colonists. Over the centuries, our people became a rich mixture of black, Asian, European, and Khoisan people. We endured and survived slavery, colonialism, and apartheid, and many forms of brutality, resulting in the appropriation of our bodies and of our land. So for me, the gesture to acknowledge the original inhabitants of Kataraque, is personal. I understand that a statement is nowhere near enough to account for a history of genocide, for the broken promises and for the trauma to generations of indigenous people, but it is a first-step gesture of recognizing a people and also a history. Hopefully, it is the start of a deeper, more long-lasting reconciliation. In this episode, we spoke with Winsome Winsome and Pamela Matharu, who were both at Agnes over the summer installing their shows. Winsome is an Ashanti Maroon artist. She has a remarkable career as a multimedia artist with a background working in various media including textiles, painting, video, installation, and puppetry. Winsome is significant both as an artist and as a cherished mentor to many artists of color. Pamela Matharu is a settler to Canada of Punjabi Indian descent. Pamela's work culminates in a broad range of forms, including installation art, social practice, and experimental media art. So let's dive into the conversation with Winsome and Pamela. Welcome so much, Winsome. <laughs> and Pamela. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're both in Kingston at Agnes right now, installing your shows. Can you tell me about your practice? Winsome. I know it's it's, it's, it's big, and where do you start? But...
1: My practice. My practice. My practice belongs to the ancestors. So my practice is really just listening to the universe and understanding what they want and interpreting what they're saying. Because sometimes I understand quite easily, other time it takes many dreams to really get what they're saying.
2: I guess for me, um, and the reason I'm here is, you know, because of Winsome. And without Winsome's uh, labor and care, I wouldn't exist as an artist. Um, she really helped me shape uh, my vision and form of like engagement as a, as a visual artist, as a social practitioner, as an arts educator, but also understanding the art world context, and I say that in quotation, um, of you know, understanding the market, understanding the lay of the land of museum culture and whatnot. So as a young artist, I did go to university, but unfortunately, the university realm did not, you know, even after formal schooling, I didn't see people like myself in the art world. I did not see people like Winsome very much after I experienced a program called Fresh Arts. And I am a graduate of Fresh Arts, um, where I was under the tutelage of, of, black feminist uh, cultural producers and thinkers and artists and um, that really for me was my birthplace of my artistry and it was not just Winsome alone, but many black feminist uh, artists who were present at the time and really informed my consciousness and my social justice value system around um, the work I do
0: today. Winsome, tell me about fish art. This seems to be, like, Pamela mentions it again and again as being, like, such a critical part of her and many, many other artists, um, you know, inspiration and and just, like, formative grounding.
1: Fresh Arts came out. First it was um, artworks, and then it was changed to Fresh Arts. Fresh Arts came out of um, the uprising that happened in Toronto, in... 19... May 4th, 1992. Ninety two, And from that, um, a group of women, senior women, um, Lillian Allen, um, Ita Sadu, Mumford. Marie Mumford. Marie Mumford. And uh, we got together, they got together with the government and talked them into doing a program because the black youth in Toronto and area couldn't get jobs or apprentice in the summer they there was nothing they could do you know i just like today i just passed um a, um art group little kids doing art and i noticed At that i, I wasn't going to say where oh, I, no, just, that's okay. <laughs> I just just passed just need to and i only saw um i didn't see any black faces in mm. all the kids they're like 30 kids. Mm-hmm. there, sitting there. I didn't see any black kids. I saw two mm-hmm. Asian, and that was it. Um, and I'm saying, and so that was the what we were seeing in '92. The same thing that we saw then is that we're still seeing. And we realized that the young kids needed training and they needed jobs. And so got together. I was asked if I would do the visual arts section and different people did Um, Cobra did the dance and different people did different parts of it. Um, And uh, um, Chapman did the writing. (laughs) And there was a lot of different artists who were working and mainly women in in doing it. And I set up the visual arts program. And my concept in visual art is that it's um, getting them to be free learning how to do it. And so in Fresh Arts, they were paid, just like if they were at work. They came for the summer, they logged in, signed in, and they got paid. If they were late, they didn't get paid for that time because it's by the hour, mm. at the end of the week, they got money. If they didn't come to work, they didn't get paid. And was learning art forms was work. And so they I taught them many different programs and what I tried to do was teach the kids in my program, teach them how to use with little material or whatever they have how to do it. They didn't need expensive um equipment to do silk screen. They could do hand cut, hand painted and create and did shirts and things like that. So they could start off. And many kids I run other programs in conjunction with that, where kids coming out to art school who knew how to use all the high equipment but would need at least $10,000 to set up their studio, and mm-hmm. which they didn't have, um, could come and set it up for $200 and get mm-hmm. and start producing. So my thing was in looking at how to do it without putting them in a high-cost range.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing was, for me, it was, in mentoring these kids it was teaching them that they need to give back most of the young people that i worked with through fresh art are all giving back to community men being mentors to young people and other many 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 they all are doing it even one now is trying to set up an art program art school for young black kids who want to go And he was talking to me about that the mentoring was the biggest part for him Mm -hmm. in learning. So sometimes, you know, people think it's just about teaching the work, but Mm -hmm. it's also teaching them how to be. And my motto to them, because it was my motto my father gave me growing up, Mm -hmm. asked not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that's what they all seem to be doing and helping each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where, to me, It is that, where we all should help each other.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what, um, like Pamela was actually kind of, you know, trying to put into words, like Mm -hmm. how this shifted her whole mind. It wasn't about art at all. It was about connections and community and finding your place. And, you know, I think especially in a place where you are like a minority, like such a minority of a minority, Mm -hmm. not only that, but that, Everything around you gets told. You know, you get told certain things mm-hmm. consistently. And to actually have that space mm-hmm. for to to be supported and nurtured in that way is phenomenal and incredible.
1: And and one of the things I think people don't realize with a lot of the young people that I have worked with, um, not just through Fresh Art, I work with the youth in prison and many different groups like that I would go in and do. And I use art and spirituality to work with them. And I'm not talking religion, Mm -hmm. spirituality. We are listening to yourself, knowing, figuring how you would like to be treated. You treat others like that. You don't want somebody messing with your shirt, so why mess with the other person? Show respect to them. And most of them have come out and are now really, really good citizens and doing really great things. And... That's the, you know, part of it is in school, they don't teach them the history of their culture. They get in the white man's history. and nothing is wrong with the white man's history if it was true. Mm-hmm. What they need to be taught was that their lives did not the black lives in particular I talk about, did not begin at slavery. We were kings and queens. Mm-hmm. We were inventors. We did many, many, many things. But most of the young black kids think of themselves as just starting at slavery, you know. And I point out to many of them, you know, you're standing on your ancestors' shoulders. If it wasn't for your ancestors, you wouldn't be here today. If they had jumped over that slave boat, you wouldn't be born. So they suffered what they did to push you up. So make them proud look at what they're doing and, you know, look at what you're doing and say, would my grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother who suffered all the hardships through slavery, how would she be proud of what I'm doing? Just to do what, you know, it would make and make yourself. And once you decide to make yourself proud, then you're going to do great things. Mm-hmm. I had a choice of going bad or good. I chose good. <laughs>
0: Where where did you get that sense of connection? Like um, coming from, you know, coming here in the 70s, where did you get that strong, strong sense of connection, that ancestral connection?
1: I have had that since I was, I remember, at age four. I knew I was going to be an artist, and I knew that I came to protect young people. That's my purpose this time around. Mm. I'm very connected to my when i was growing up they would call and say oh she's a throwback and i used to think it was really really bad because i would do stuff and they would say oh she's a throwback and then when i really went back to africa i realized a lot of the stuff i was doing was stuff the ancient people used to do but i had no idea they were teaching me but i didn't understand why i was learning all these things Mm -hmm. and so i used them I know people thought me strange, um, and I don't think of myself as strange. I just mm-hmm. think of myself as I'm different. I mm-hmm. will even say I'm from another planet, just that, you know, mm-hmm. and even the country I grew up in, most people would say to me, where are you from? You're not from this country, um, because you don't think like we do. But part of it is the ancestors, I listen to them. They dream me, and that's where my art comes from, from mm-hmm. their dreams, and it may not be for me, you know, I maybe for somebody else. For instance, I remember, and I do things that sometimes I don't really, really want to do, but I know I need to do it. For instance, um, I remember why said a gallery in Toronto uh, called me and asked me to do a show, and it was like three weeks no thing, and I said three weeks. Turned out they said, oh, the per- they had somebody to that slot, and the person can't come. Um, something happened, and they would like me if I would fill it for them. I didn't want to, I don't do shows in three weeks because I have to think about it and stuff. And I talked to many people around me and I remember the same Clem Marshall, who is a great um, leader in the community, said to me, said to me, you know, if you don't, that's a gallery that has never shown any black art before. Mm-hmm. And if you don't show, they're going to say they asked a black person mm-hmm. and they didn't show. And if, and if you, and so he said, I think you should try and do it and stuff. But I should back up. Before that, I was in Mexico and I found this huge stone. I hit my foot on it. And I was then I picked it. I stopped to sell it, sorry for kicking it, and then it wanted to come. I picked it up. I took it with me to where I was sitting. And my kids said to me, what are you doing with that stone? I said, I don't know. It wants to be with me. Mm-hmm. And and I was coming back to Canada. When we were coming back at the end of the holidays, I started trying to get it in. And my husband said, you can't carry it. It's too big. You, you can't. That's a lot of weight for you to carry. And I said, well, I guess my stuff will have to stay. And I'm taking the stone because it says it's coming home with me. Mm-hmm. And so they all... Sorted out and got some of my stuff in their suitcases, and I got to take my stone. I brought it home and I plumped it on the ground by my bed, and it was there for almost a year and a half. And then, when I decided I'm going to do this show in three weeks, suddenly I saw I hit my foot on the stone. I've never hit my foot on the stone again after I'd placed it there. Walking around the bed, I hit my foot, and I'm like, You want to be in the show? and it was the centerpiece of the show of the show I did a show the piece, and it was there and I remember um the day of the opening, lots and lots of people. It was crowded, people around the block trying to figure and the police came to see why people were lining up how they couldn't get in It's a small gallery <laughs> and stuff and then the um three days later or so uh, the gallery called me and said. I don't know what to do. There's this woman who, she's so distraught, she comes in and she sits on the ground and she keeps her hand on the stone in your work and we don't know what to do. What do you want us to do? We kind of said to her, you shouldn't touch the work, but she still do it and it's like she doesn't hear us. And I said, leave her alone if she has it because I remember how the stone talked to me, so I figured maybe it's for her. And she kept her hand on the stone for all this time and then finally one day, maybe month, a month, I decided to, I was passing the gallery and I thought, oh, let me stop in and see. It was near lunch hour. They say she comes in every time around lunch hour. So I went in to see if the woman was there and I said to the director, I said, um, has she come yet or am I too early or what? And he said, she came around three days ago. And she was just laughing and happy and thanking the stone and it, was stroking it and saying, thank you very much, thank you, and praising the stone. And they hadn't seen her since then. Oh. So the stone was hers. Mm. It was for her. Mm. So, you know, I can't not do something even if I don't feel like doing mm. it because it may be for somebody else. Yeah. I don't know if I, yeah. if I rambled.
0: So things no, you didn't, like objects, it, it,
1: everything, everything. Everything, Zreek. I did a piece called, um, where I did stones from around the world. Mm-hmm. And people were sending me stones and I never said anything that I was doing. Any, uh, I had a dream to do a show with stones and mm-hmm. suddenly stones was arriving. I still remember this woman who went to India, Um, now Casper, mm-hmm. um, went to India mm-hmm. and she said um and she was a woman she's um
2: transition
1: transition so I said to her um she came back from India and she said to me, I have something for you i want um i, I it's the only thing I brought back um, for anybody, but every oh. time I go to get rid of it i was she was walking up mount kilimanjaro mm-hmm. and she said i hit myself on the stone and you came a vision of you came it to me mm-hmm. i picked it up and i looked at it and i took it back to the hotel room and she had it in her hotel and she said when she was leaving she was getting everything throwing out everything and as soon as she picked up the stone she said there you were again i brought it back for you
3: mm-hmm. and
1: she gave it to me and I said, I'm doing a show with stones from different parts of the world. Mm. And I, on the bottom of the stones, I wrote where they were from, mm-hmm. what people were. And, you know, and at the show, I mean, I think a lot. And then I did a smaller amount of the smaller ones where people could take a stone and leave a prayer for the universe. I mean, it all came to me just through dreams and stuff and mm-hmm. people sending me stones. So, you know, the universe talks to us in different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's how it talks to me, how I know what to do with people. When I work in the prisons, I work in the prison for women. Mm-hmm. I got many artists and in Kingston here. In Kingston, I got women like Faith Nolan and different people to come in and do work in there, which helps the women.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I just do what needs to be done. Somehow, something tells me what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um
0: connection were places elsewhere places that have like a connection to you Mm. like India for example what is your connection and like your movement from Canada to India and how it informs your practice um like Winsome was saying you know Africa is like such a profound influence on
2: yeah I think for me like uh, and many people who grew up in the diaspora um, you know, you, you, My concept of India is, you know, oh, it's very much. A, there's a phrase called "this or this," which means home away from home. And the India I've created in my imagination, perhaps, or in my home, or in my family home, like you know, that's through food and culture and uh, aspects of culture and whatnot. And I think Fresh Arts was really, really affirming and validating around that piece around self awareness because. Even though that you know I I'm an, a non-black non-indigenous person, but the year that I met Winsome it was 19 the summer of 1994, and that was the year that they allowed non-indigenous and non-black racialized youth to um, be part of the program because it was also incumbent on sustaining uh, funding and whatnot. If 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 it didn't grow like that, that would mean some detrimental decisions would be made. But anyways, um, so I was very much, I want to say, in proximity of Black thought and Black cultural production, particularly Black feminist thought. Mm-hmm. And I tried to use that model that Winsome employed and also the, so we were not just, um, Winsome mentioned that in her department, so that the entire program was made up of a multidisciplinary approach. So there was music, performing arts, literary arts, visual arts. Um, and with the visual arts, um, you know, we, Winsome would really share the platform. So I met two individuals, um, Winsome, you, you you might remember them clearly, but Shereza Alam, who just recently passed away, and Zuhur Akla, her partner, who also died tra- tragically. Um, In Pakistan, in Lahore. And they were really instrumental. Winsome was really instrumental in sharing those platforms. So, uh, you know, youth like myself could understand that, you know, in terms of artistry and self awareness, and as Winsome mentioned, the spirituality piece, like that is something that is honed from internal, like it's an internal kind of way of life and being a way of knowing. So I think it was really modeled to me very early on around that piece, around that, and meeting people like Zahor and Shirazad, uh, along with Winsome and Althea Prince and Michael St. George and, you know, the entire group of facilitators that I became very, very close with that summer. Um, it was really about being honed in your spiritual practice as well as your artistic practice they were not in some ways siloed the way the western canon teaches art and in fact we don't ever talk about the spirit in the western canon Mm. so it was it was very like something that was familiar to me on a spiritual religious Mm. uh, level but then I quickly realized through Winsome's teachings that you know this the spirit is something to be nurtured and honed for the artist, right? So, um, and that was about going back into myself uh, around learning my, I guess, my Indianness in a very uh, diasporic context, and uh, being born in the UK. There is a very large diasporic South Asian population in the UK, as well as in Canada and Australia and many parts of the different world in the Western world. So our India is not just from the motherland, but all over the place. Mm. And now with um, music and culture and film culture being so extrapolated through um, screen, like digital um, access and, and the internet, um, it's not that it's so far or foreign to mm. a young person who doesn't have access to India. So I couldn't necessarily um, have a lot of return trips home. Mm -hmm. Um, What I mean by that is going back to Jalandhar and Kurputla, my father's village and my mom's city. But I had a few trips, but the more or less my identity shaping around my Indianness came from a diasporic lens. Mm -hmm. And also watching Winsome and the Black youth in fresh arts and being in proximity to them and adjacent to them I understood my culture through learning about black thought mm. and, and not mimicking or um, appropriating, but understanding that context and um, around my own identity mm. and how I was shaping it as a young person, because I was like, uh, it was 1994. I was the summer of my 20 first, I was going to turn 21 in the fall. And, you know, um, yeah, it was really, really, for me, very instrumental and foundational Mm -hmm. to get that kind of teaching, I would say, Mm -hmm. and that knowledge acquisition around the Mm self-awareness piece, around understanding what, like, you know, working with your spirit and and ancestral spirits, Mm -hmm. you know, met and, you know when you're a young person you're laughing at a lot of these things but yeah. and it was like when someone would put up with our antics <laughs> you know we we're like little punks but she was like
0: that's you, like serious i'm sorry I, I i just like what comes into my head every time uh-huh. is like how do you communicate everything that you are saying to kids mm-hmm. young people who have who are completely who are actually quite not even resistant, but quite hostile to these kinds of ideas yes. because they're feeling dislocated in a Canada that doesn't acknowledge their reality. How do you communicate that? well, asking basic
2: questions like really you know in a Socratic way that Winsome did like who are you? you know so asking yourself who am I? that's a very large question that is a huge question. Where am I going? you ask them that yes, yeah. where am I going you know I'm I'm 20 going on 21, but I'm, like, introduced to Malcolm X, CLR James, um, you know, um, amazing, like, you know, Stuart Hall, all these thinkers that I just did not have access to in my undergraduate fine arts, uh, visual arts degree program. So you can imagine I'm going back, my mind's blown, Mm. and I'm going back into the realm of York University, Mm. and it's completely white professors, Mm. white, the white canon, right? I see nothing that looks like me. Mm -hmm. And it took me two or three years to get to a course called Arts of Asia, taught by a white professor. And it was just, you know, um, well, lack of a better word, atrocious Mm -hmm. around the way some of the framework around uh, aesthetics were looked at. Mm -hmm. Because I'm also looking at very spiritual places, right? The Ajanta Caves, Mm -hmm. Taj Mahal, The golden temple all these amazing like you know uh like in terms of how my living ancestors are going into something that my you know uh deceased ancestors made by their hands Mm. way before engineering Mm -mm. this is engineering by hand cut stone Mm -hmm. right sculpting by stone all these things but the west did not teach me anything of that Mm -hmm. right So that context of the fact that, you know, saying things like you come from a very beautiful culture, Mm -hmm. don't discredit that. Like when some really helped us understand and and shape that um, agency and that, you know, um, activating our voices through that, Mm -hmm. like feeling pride Mm
3: -hmm. in
2: that, not in an ethnocentric way, Mm -hmm. like the way soccer matches are in Canada you know yeah. or during world cup or something but mm. it was about like you come from a beautiful culture like mm. you can go back into that mm. right and nobody in my undergraduate degree said that mm. to me whereas I was finding that in fresh arts and definitely through Winsome's teachings. Mm. so back to your question I started to then uh Winsome also taught me or sorry uh uh showed me a pathway to this other groundbreaking organization called Dish Pradesh, which was a festival and conference. And it was like very interesting because Winsome saw who I was becoming and I didn't even know, I wasn't even out to myself at the time, but she saw something in me around like that. So she was like, you might be interested in this organization that shares the same uh, office space as Fresh Arts. And I was like, oh yeah, what's that? And then I got introduced to this, you know, again, mind blown, This phenomenal organization with these amazing diasporic South Asian thinkers and uh, activists and uh, academics and artists and performing artists. And they ran their festival for about 10 years. And I got involved in the programming Mm -hmm. committee and whatnot. And after that, I went back to another jobs youth, uh, it's called, yeah, Jobs Ontario Youth uh, Funded Program. So much like Fresh Arts, it was another program called theater in the rough Mm -hmm. and that's where I met Dr. Ama Harris who is a a very significant theater person from Mm -hmm. um, also from Jamaica Mm -hmm. so I had a lot of exposure to black creative professionals Mm -hmm. particularly black feminist artists Mm -hmm. you know and um, that really helped hone who I was in terms of my Mm Indianness right it helped me shape that consciousness and then, of course, Dish for Dish was incredibly instrumental in my shaping of that. Yeah. I, um, Where's one...
0: Harris? Hmm? Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I'll
2: mm, we'll have to okay. talk later. <laughs>
0: um,
2: <laughs> sorry about that.
0: This, like translating yes. this experience mm. from, um, like fresh arts and all those kind of community activism, how does that translate into the art world? and into museums and galleries spaces. How do you how do you navigate that? Because now you've got your 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 networks, you've got your communities, you've got your people. But how do you interact with the I think I really
2: love what Dr. Julie Crooks from the AGO talks about, which is I got one foot in the institution and one foot in my community.
3: Mm.
2: You know, and I and I similarly that's how I that's how I roll. Like, I'll, I'll do, like today I'm working in this museum or this university art gallery. As of after Labor Day, I'm back to my high school teaching job, and I'm serving students. That's what I do. I lead mm-hmm. and I serve,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? And that's what Winsome did.
1: I open the door and keep it yeah. wide open.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and I and I use the same framework. And it's, I, I'm not going to, no word of a lie, I have called Winsome up in the recent past and say, oh, my gosh, what do I do about these youth? They're, like, not listening and this and that. And I have like, you know, shared my struggles. Mm. And she's just coached me from afar when she lived in Belize, when she's back in Toronto visiting or whatnot. So I I just kept the... This is one mentor that I actively Mm. keep a connection with. And she also, I have to say, like, she's right here, but she calls up the youth too and Mm. still stays in touch with everyone. So it's about keeping that active connection, you know? And... um, But also, is it like, do
0: you... Uh, you know like as an artist mm. do you go knocking or do you wait for them to come
1: i don't i don't, think, you don't i don't i don't, <laughs> I, don't I i'm the first i'm i'm the first black canadian to have shown at the age yeah. yeah and i do you want to wow. share what year that yes, was please. winsome 1999, I think, mm-hmm. 1999. So that's what, fact, that shown very recent. But very they, they had shown black artists, but from other countries, mm-hmm. but not Canadian black artists. <laughs> and so I put together a thing, myself and Kofi Kaiga and... um started writing each other about spirituality because he's very strong, work on an African concept and I, and I had shown with my very first show in Jamaica was with Kofi Kaiga. And so we're both some um, of that heritage, mm. um, <clears throat> a child of the world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so we decided to do a show together because it was marking 50 years that we had shown together. Mm. And so we put wow. together and then we, I talked to the AGO, just couldn't get anywhere at the door. And then, but I, so I bypassed the curators and everybody and I made an appointment with the director of, of the gallery. And, and
2: at the time it was Matthew Tattlebaum. Matthew
1: Teitelbaum. right? yeah. I made a thing and I got to know and talked to him and stuff. And I think he supported me and to the curator and mm-hmm. stuff. And that was when they hadn't quite said yes yet. And then the Canby, an art organization, was looking to do a show there um, to do at the AGO of Black Artists, but I think it was mostly off from other countries um, because I wasn't asked to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And then theirs was turned down because they, I don't know why, it was turned down. And they suggested that they talk to me to see if I would let, let it be the show to promote to, for Kanbaya. When I talked to them, they were when they talked to me, I said they wanted certain people in there. And I said, No, I would only do it if I selected the people
3: mm-hmm.
1: because they wanted it to be bigger than two. Mm-hmm. So we selected it. So I selected, um, I had two other people who another two guys who work in spirituality from a different point of view than mm-hmm. ours. One was Haitian and the other was Buddhist. Um And then I talked to some women who I knew, artists that I respected and stuff. And they said at the age of, they won't let us I said, yes, it's going to happen if you say yes. And so they did. And so that was how I presented. Um, So there were, I can't remember how many of us, um, Khadija Bush, uh, myself, Jan Wade. um, uh, There were six or seven of us which is my number somehow seven came together and so we did the show and then while it was happening they didn't like the curator decided they didn't want certain one person in there because um, i can't even remember it was Keith state work and i said Mm. no he's saying um his work is going to be in there and stuff so Um, And they Mm -hmm. were, so I called up all the other groups and the other people. And I said, look, if Keith's work isn't in there, we all walk. We won't do it. Right. And they all said, okay, (laughs) okay. And so Keith was in there. We were all in there. And the show happened.
2: But back to your question about the art world, right? It's Mm -hmm. like these are the kind of barriers that exist for BIPOC artists. Like Black, Indigenous, and racialized artists, we often have to wait. And it's um, prior to the realm of decolonizing and um, looking at the actions for the Truth and, Reconla- Truth and Reconciliation Report. Like, you know, uh, there's been a long history of the gatekeeping,
3: mm.
2: right? And if you want to use that Western model, well, the thing is, and this is why Fresh Arts was so successful, you boil down those silos, mm. you just break them down. And it is like the one room schoolhouse.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. which is yeah
2: which yeah. is what works it for multi mm-hmm. cuz the, the the language in the west is multidisciplinary but that is the strategy that a lot of non white cultures use anyway and yes poetry prose right like mm-hmm. this is this is in our our spirituality yeah. right and just
0: like way of being
2: the way of being the way of knowing mm-hmm. our ways yeah. of knowing right these are our indigenous ways of knowing mm-hmm. right so when the West wants to sell yoga back to me, mm. you know, or <laughs> meditation. It's what you live, or yeah, m- or mindfulness. Like mm. it's like, are you kidding me? Mm. Like this is my this is what I grew up on, mm. right? This is what my family taught me in my faith. But it's um, you know, I I just at some point I had to stop working mm. with white practitioners of yoga because it mm. was like you're you are extracting yeah. all the beauty and spiritualness out of this form of Mm -hmm. of contemplative practice and i don't know where contemplative practices like winsome can fit in the uh museum Mm -hmm. of of, like if we're going to talk futurities then Mm -hmm. we're going to have to do a lot of work Mm a lot of work deconstructing the ways of uh what the west assumes around acquiring work by artists like winsome or um you know indigenous artists or myself or whatnot even though my language or the way I operate around uh materiality and form is of course what I learned from school Mm. but I'm also trying to play within the museum I'm you know leaving things crooked on purpose (laughs) on the wall right on the wall I'm like I'm just just so happens that I'm you know, wallpapering my imagery on, on the Agnes's walls. But, you know, sometimes I push too hard and something rips and Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, well, Mm, like, it's gonna
1: stay. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna rip this down. I'm gonna mm-hmm. leave that rip up, that little tear in. But those rips, I'm gonna cut. Yeah. those yes. rips. I yes. meant the universe wants it. For that, instance, I was about to get to that. Oh, the universe uh-huh. wants it. The universe it. So you don't, um, you, you don't try and correct it. You look and ask it, why do you do that? I mean, sometimes I have drop a paint outside uh-huh. the canvas, and I'm like okay, what are you trying to tell me? And I remember in particular one, I turned it into a beautiful tree and then the next thing I saw an animal and Mm -hmm. it's outside the norm Mm -hmm. of the painting Mm -hmm. and people have come and said, oh, isn't that unusual? That's kind of neat having that little piece Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. of the square that you painted. Mm -hmm. You unbalanced it, Mm -hmm. but it's still balanced, but they don't realize the universe wants it. Mm -hmm. And we're just trying to control this great massive greatness that is there Mm -hmm. that is leading us like Mm -hmm. that's how i deal with all the kids Mm -hmm. when i work with kids i mean that's what i do Mm -hmm. i don't try and it's kind of like saying listen to yourself but I respect them, and that's the foremost, I think, why the kids are, and I call them kids, they're kids yeah. to me. They, to you they're they are. Kids <laughs> yeah. me. You're kid um, <laughs> I know, and, I know it's great. You know, yeah. I, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they, I respect them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by respecting them, they want to do, they start to respect themselves yeah. and try to get into themselves mm-hmm. who they are because I don't talk down to them. No. I don't, we're equal I respect you.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I can learn from you. You can learn from me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I see that all the time where I may tell them to do something this way. And some one smart-ass person will mm-hmm. say, oh, I want to do it this way. And I said, okay, you can do it that way. Mm-hmm. If it works, it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I will learn something new. And if it works, I congratulate them and say, oh, that's great. Now I know another way to teach it. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes is what happened, where young people knock against their uh, people who are trying to help them because they're dictating to them, "You have to do this, this, and this way." Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. and then they're living for a new generation, a different time, a time without us.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and when some you just use the word norm, right? So norms, standards, you know, like that value system again is hegemonic, Mm -hmm. right? So that paint drop outside of the canvas. Right. Whether it was intentional or not, whether the universe, you know, kind of goes, you know what, we're going to, you know, fuck with your symmetry today. Like, you know, like those things. What's your word, girl?
0: Okay. It's okay. Okay. Okay.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can edit. Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: we, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but the point being is that those are, again, very innate kind of decisions that the system just doesn't allow you to make those kind of sloppy mm. misses and misses like you know is it
0: like are we always going to have to have one foot in and one foot out or are we going to have to burn it down or are we going to have to pull it apart are we going to have to put how are we going to make space and live in this space it okay what it matters
2: is and i really truly feel this like in terms of if you're gonna are you talking about
0: decoloniality no i hate that word i hate that word because i feel that Mm-hmm. Like liberation has always been around, You're right? And it's it always and 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 I feel that that term has been like co opted mm-hmm. by people in institutions to tick off a box. Yeah, um, I, I completely. I feel the right. spirit of that. Yeah, but um, I just yeah, yeah. I, I think that we've been trying to do this yep. for so many years. Absolutely, um,
2: and and the thing is, is like people like us. It's like there's a phrase in with equity equity facilitators invited oh, to
0: the
2: God. invited to the party but never asked to dance. So yeah. you you have a seat at the table, but mm. don't do anything.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, oh, oh so you, it's can't. A, you, you, you can't, can't do anything. Yeah. Your hands are tied and people don't know and you're just asked to smile and kind of keep the peace. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like I can't tell you when when I did my show at Space in 2019. If you ask people in Toronto who I was, oh yeah, Pamela Matharu, da, da, da. but it was my labor that was used, and that's what created so much attention. Mm. Not necessarily mm. my exhibiting history. Mm. So I then made uh, an artwork to that kind of uh, you know poked fun at that. It's like I, I'm I was serving it back to the curatorial committee and community in Toronto, right? Like that, you know, we're very aware of what you do. And pigeonhole us mm-hmm. and gatekeep mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, all of those kind of things and pat us on the head. It's like, uh, you know, there's only so much you can take for a certain amount of time. So it's like, even looking at the day of May 4th, 1992, one person's uprising is another person's riot. Mm. One person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist, right? It's really the way that it's all about perspective is everything right and I really employ that in my role as an artist as an educator as a cultural producer as someone who has recently gone to market Mm -hmm. you know that's very new to me but like again the precedent to me or the model shaping for me is watching Winsome and she was doing all those things and I was like yeah I want to grow up and be like (laughs) Winsome.
1: I want to grow up and be like Pamela.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah it's like um like you said You've only recently yes. come into the scene for me and, and for a white artist who's, you know, been mm. practicing for as long as you have and has been developing mm. your practice. Mm. That is completely absurd. It's absurd. Yeah, 20, um, 28 years.
1: I started at I'm age 20. The, I started with, at age 10. And I'm go. just just beginning to really yeah. show in any in yeah. a major capacity. So would like you say?
0: is it worth Not it? Even major, these, you know, are these, you know are what it, these systems right. that that um you know are now opening yeah. up and are now giving us uh, like you know, I'm speaking from my own perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I basically had to leave South Africa to come and get some kind of, you know, like, like audience here. Yeah. Well but, you're it,
1: oh sorry, go ahead. But it's um I And I don't know if I should say this, but I think after it's the year of in the United Nations for people of color Mm -hmm. to be shown, to be done, and all the galleries are showing and having them on their heads. And I think after that period is over, I think they're going to go back to the way it was and gatekeep more, even tighter. Wow. That's my gut feeling.
2: But they're selling off a lot of art now in, in major museums to make space for Uh, creating space for and room for BIPOC artists in the collections?
1: Not really. um... I don't know about Canada, but I keep reading about American music. I don't think, I I just feel, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm too vocal for a lot of them. That's the other thing. I'm very vocal. Uh, (laughs) I'm very vocal and I'll say what I see and think I don't really. You're not paying my bills. Yes, it would be nice if you did. If you, if I made money through it, but I'm just gonna say what I think. If I think you're not a nice person, I'm gonna tell mm-hmm. you you're not a nice person. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. And some artists, that's what they're doing. They're buttering mm-hmm. up and not and smiling and being mm-hmm. putting up with things, you know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I won't do that. And I think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anymore. But Winsome,
2: that's about your livelihood too, as an artist, right? So it's like. In Canada, we have a granting system, mm-hmm. but not all like, n- not all BIPOC artists, uh, amongst all other artists, are successful at those grants. So mm-hmm. what do you do then? I mean, you have to sell your work.
1: Yeah, and I was the first person to have four solar shows in mm-hmm. Canada. I had yeah. four st- brand new, not mm-hmm. a retrospective, mm-hmm. brand new solar show. Plus, I had a traveling and retrospective happening in the U.S. Plus, um, I was in group shows in Central America. Well, and I applied for a grant to do the new work, body mm-hmm. of work. I didn't get it. But when... The show opened at Ace Space Work and Todd Moyden and it opened all the same week, all of them. Um, this woman, and that was actually what really threw me when I picked up and said, okay, this is it. Um, she said, um, she asked me, she said, oh, you got a lot of grant to do so many shows. I said, no, I didn't get any. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and this was a white person. She said, if you're white, you'd probably have got it. I got one and I'm not even doing anything. Wow. Well. And that really bothered me that day you know um and I said so what are you gonna do I thought maybe she said she said oh I applied for the grant but I'm I'm gonna go travel and then do something just to Mm -hmm. send in a report
0: I mean I think like something that struck me about Pamela's show was the kind of labor that you had to do like what you did from the time you were well we just kind of engaged with the Kingston Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. yeah It was phenomenal. Mm. It was not just with, it wasn't just one work. It was kind of like you were always, always busy.
1: Yeah. Well, because they're young people and a lot of people that came um, and.
2: And parenting.
1: Yeah, yeah, three kids. kids. You know, young people who came in, they're of black, mainly from the Caribbean. And I worked with some indigenous and different groups of people. Whoever child needed it. I was there for them, so I did a lot because of the children, because that's my purpose of coming back this time around, was to protect and help them. Because, I mean, the other day somebody phoned me and I didn't remember her and she said, I came to your house when I was 16 and I hung around round there and stuff you don't remember me but i remember you because i was just thinking she was came in from the caribbean and she was having such a hard time Mm -hmm. um being there with her family and couldn't go back and she said i was thinking of killing myself when i met you and you kept me from that and she said i know you don't know that but Mm -hmm. you know is that so you know, so I think I must have known like yeah. I knew about you and stuff I could read into people and stuff who needed more. So, I worked really for the young people, mm. you know and and stuff like that because they needed it yeah because there was that's even why I ran for school board trustee, not that I wanted to be a school board trustee mm. because I had all the things that I was doing, but because the person who was in there was for my award was not doing anything for kids. He mm-hmm. never even showed up at many of the meetings because and stuff. He was off playing golf or something like that or doing whatever he was doing. But he um so I ran. I said yes, I would run. And I waited for the last moment to see if somebody would go up against him. But nobody did. So what, five minutes before? I handed in my stuff. I just oh sat God. at the city hall, waited, wow. waited, and I would keep running. They said it's closing off for it, so I did. And it turned out he had been in for like five terms, never anybody running against him. Okay. And so that was when I ran. And you know, and then when they thought I had won and was winning, the CBC or the Globe went and interviewed him. I think you have that. The Globe went in, in, it's in the one I just gave you, the, the book I just, yeah, yeah. Okay. They, um, asked him, t- interviewed him about how is it feel for a newcomer to be running, I, and I didn't have any money for, I ran my campaign on $25. <laughs>
2: but wait a second, you, that campaign is 1988, it is, yeah. and you arrived in the 70s, you're not quite a newcomer, that's like.
1: Well, they, they, I know, <laughs> I know, but, 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 but I wasn't in politics or anything. Sure. I mean, I but think it's that's a
0: lot of, lots yeah. of like new people. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. yeah know, it but,
1: wasn't. but I wasn't. And he, they asked him and he said, oh, she can have it if she wanted it. Give me more time to go play golf and all the rest oh, of it and stuff. Goodness. But then the last ballot thing that came in, he won. And we know why, but you know, that he won in the last, you know, suddenly he was visiting the place and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. where they were voting for. Mm -hmm. But you know, and so I was happy people, they kept saying we can do a recount because it's so close. And I said, no, 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 it's okay. We'll just hold him to it now. But after that, when he got in, every time he didn't miss the board meeting. People were like, why weren't you at the mm. board meeting? And when he wasn't, they called and he never responded. And I think after a short term, he didn't fill out, finish out the term, he resigned. He said it was too much work because people were calling him. And now
0: and, suddenly it, he was accountable because yeah. somebody had set a different kind of precedent.
1: Yeah. So, you know, so it's not, yes, it's a lot of work, but sometimes you just have to do the things you see needed for mm. anything. You know, I do... You know, I see the Vietnamese people needed the thing. I got my community to house mm-hmm. some and worked with them. I just do things. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That know. was Kingston in the eighties. Which one? What you just what described. you just
1: Yeah, I was about. in That's the just... 80s. and the Vietnam was whenever the Vietnam War was and that was in Lansdowne, which was besides mm-hmm. beside Kingston, mm-hmm. just down the road, on a village outside.
2: And you did a lot of fundraising here for different organizations.
1: They needed it, and I believed in them, like the Kinston Artists Association, yeah. I believed in them, so yeah. I did it. And some, of my, a lot of other fundraisers are for different organizations in other places, but, mm. you know, it's I had the skill of being a chef, being able to cook, so I did it, you know.
0: Mm. But you came up against like resistance. Yeah, you came up. I mean, it wasn't just. It wasn't like easy. It was.
1: It was really. It wasn't easy, especially. And I think I did it for my kids because I remember when my son was walking down the street and a car stopped, and he was walking with his dad, who's white, and a car stopped and said. him to go back to your country, go back to where you are and stuff. And I don't know what else. And it was a one-way street and they must have gone around and come back on mm-hmm. Princess Street mm-hmm. and did the same thing. And then the, his dad said, come, let's go home. And they went home. But he never said anything about it. And my son, I he he said, and I went to my son and I said, what, what's wrong? He must have been 11, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. I said, what really happened? And he said, and he told me the full story, and I said, "So did you talk with your dad?" he said, "I don't think he'll understand yeah. well, he was white we, I, you know, it's like I go to functions, many things I didn't want to go to, but I went to and I was the only black person there and in right. Kinston, uh-huh. you know, and mainly white room. you know, but it was like you have to do things if you are here and Mm -hmm. you need you have to open the door you have you have children you have to open the door Mm -hmm. you know it you just have to
0: yeah And, and i think like that is like i've got one more question and i want to know what is it that specifically what can people do what can people do what can artists do to rise above to you know um, especially here especially in a a place that is so homogenous
2: i think informing yourself not expecting indigenous black or racialized people to teach you constantly so doing your own work there's like wonderful wiki pages on anti-oppression right or anti-black racism or understanding what it means to be in solidarity with black folks and Racialized folks, Indigenous folks, like what does it actually look like and sound mm-hmm. like and mean? And fundraising and using food as a you know container of care and uh, you know social relational practices or just sharing what we call sharing a meal, mm-hmm. you know, like these. It's very very like auspicious and yeah and spiritual to be doing that in mm-hmm. a lot of cultures. So it's like when you're you you know the thing is is that not to be afraid. Not to be afraid of the other and mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, um, the time we have on earth,
3: mm-hmm.
2: like if you really are considering your uh, ancestral work or your spiritual work, well, what are you doing to be a good ancestor mm-hmm. for the future, right? Mm-hmm. Pay it forward. Mm-hmm. And that's what Winsome did for
1: us, you know? I don't think it's up to us to do change it. Yeah. I think it's up to the, the other people mm-hmm. to learn. Inform yourself. I don't mind when people ask me questions, and pe- some people ask me questions. Though, or, or white folks, for instance, ask me, or, or Japanese, or mm. whatever. Mm. Learn about each other's culture. Yes. Just sit down and uh, ask about and ask. You know, you may see something, I do something. And if it, you wonder about it, don't go off making your own stories up. Mm. Turn to me and say, Why did you do that? And as a Black person, I think you should also answer it um, or uh, any race should answer truthfully because Mm -hmm. a lot of times I've met uh, many white folks who are afraid to ask. For instance, I'm going to tell you about this shortly story. This woman, I moved into Sydenham, which is just outside uh, Kinston Mm -hmm. and the next door neighbor. Um, we didn't want her kids playing and coming over. I invited them. We didn't want and the kid the kids wanted to come and play but they said we have to and their mother didn't want and she kept several I finally just went to her and said, Why can't my kids play? Or they would come over and play, but as soon as they hear their mother driving, they would dash home and say, have got to go home. We're not supposed to be here. So I went over to her and I said, I need to talk to you mm-hmm. And she said what and she was looking very I said, I want to know why my your kids can't play with my kids. They're all the same age. And she looked at me and she and she said, If you if it's okay with you, I guess they can. And I said, and you can come over too if you don't know who I am. Come on over. They're young kids, I can see. Mm-hmm. And then she finally told me her first encounter with a black person was in Toronto. She was on the subway. Not subway in an apartment building in the elevator going up, and the um, her little girl must have been five or six. And a black man entered the subway, and he, she, the little girl looked at him and, and to her. and The little girl said something to him about uh, you're tall and why. Well, I was asked him some question, mm-hmm. and he just turned and she got really scared, and she was afraid for her life. He ranted at her, so right away. Mm-hmm she pulled back and it's black people are a certain way Mm -hmm. her her very first encounter Mm -hmm. i was on um what wasaba beach when Mm -hmm. my son was five and as we were walking down i saw these women um talking and they were pulling themselves together and pulling their kids over Mm -hmm. and i went and my son just ran down and started um thing and the kids um came forward and i went down and i said it's okay, they can play together, it doesn't bother me. Mm. And the woman looked at me and then talking the little girl one little girl said to my You are so lucky, your mother never knows when you're dirty <laughs> And and <Sheesh>. I and <laughs> No, I and I said, and I just, and the mother was apologizing. And I said, no, she even thing. And I said to him, to her, it's his skin. He's black and stuff. And she said, you don't look at like the black people on TV. It was the first time they were seeing black people. This was in 1969 or 70. Wow. I came in 69, 70. And it was the first time mm. they were seeing black people in person. This is Wasaga Beach? Wasaga Beach. Wasaga Beach. Wasaga Beach. Where is Wasaga Beach? Uh, Outside of Toronto. Outside of Toronto. That's crazy. Yeah, but it was true. I went to Hamilton. I remember when I saw the first black person in Hamilton, I Uh was like, (laughs) across (laughs) the street to Uh talk to them. Uh Uh, No, because Uh, he didn't have it in the 19th thing. And And the woman said, you're not upset? I said, no. She's just saying she sees it when um, she gets dirt on her oh. self, it's brown and mm-hmm. she you make her wash it off. So that's what she's saying. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take it as an insult or anything. I just took okay, it here's a kid who don't know. I need to mm-hmm. explain to mm-hmm. them what mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And I know it changed. After that, the women started talking to me and asking me things on the a movie they seen. And it was not Aunt Jemima, another one they were seen. And they were asking questions about it. And I mm-hmm. said, it's not, you need to get out into your community. I said, find an organization and
3: mm-hmm.
1: get to know some black people mm-hmm. and stuff in a good way. I told them it's not a patronizing thing. and you know so sometimes we have to just be helpful too when they ask us Mm. you know and i mean i've had friends who are white who have said stuff and i think about and i said to them i think that's racist what you just said Mm -hmm. and they will and say, I don't think so. And they'll explain why they said it and stuff. And I said, it could be both ways. And I said, "Oh, you get a I, I don't like it, but I, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, It, it wasn't more racist. It was more stereotypical than racist mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I never got upset. And that's part of it, I think, why I have a mixture. I have South Asian. I have um, from Japan, from all over the world, mm-hmm. from Everybody. And yeah. you know, if you're good to me and treat me with respect, I treat you and mm-hmm. that's what we should all mm-hmm. be looking at.
2: Yeah, I think the reciprocity piece really, really matters around mm-hmm. that. Just like Wisdom saying, like meeting folks in the middle around learning and mm-hmm. unlearning,
0: you know. Yeah, but like for people of colour, for black people, mm-hmm. for racialized people, like how does that story
1: like translate? Like do we fight? Mm-hmm. Do we do we do we yeah. laugh? I, Do we? I yeah. think. I think the first thing is for the government of Canada and the world to apologize for slavery. Nobody—they've apologized now mm. to the Indigenous. They've mm. apologized to the Japanese, mm. the mm-hmm. what, uh, the Jewish people. We have not heard one word of apology mm. ever for what they did of breaking up our our family. And in the Indigenous, they yes they did wrong to them but they at least were kept in their country and their culture most black people don't know where in the world in africa mm. they're from mm-hmm. what area their nation their tribe or anything mm-hmm. because they took us and moved us out mm-hmm. and shipped us out
0: mm-hmm. and to call our staff and put it in university mm-hmm. art collections
1: mm-hmm. and, brutalized. Yes. and brutalized and
0: brutalized and continue mm-hmm.
1: and now to me I want, all I want now is an apology, an official apology, a true meaning apology. Mm. Um, Prince William and his wife went around to the it. Caribbean, and they only did that because they oh. saw every country, it, all the countries called, um, is trying to break away from, and they want to keep them. So they went mm. around. They never apologize mm. to any of the countries.
0: Yeah. None that of that the, was the first, the, the actual the first visit. That caused a lot of trouble, yeah. usually they kind of you know, yeah. the
1: queens garland, and, and, yeah, yeah, and you just was... and they in Belize, the Mayan people, nope, we don't want you, and everybody, and it's like, and I feel the same way, mm. I want a proper, proper apology,
3: mm.
1: you know, yeah. and set the back on you know, and a tornado is gonna come in, oh yes, yeah, coming in. Mm-hmm. And she's gonna wipe everything. They're gonna remove their bottom and then settle everything. And they have everybody have to begin at the beginning. And I wouldn't be surprised if this, <laughs> if COVID is not the start of it's it start. of putting all everybody back on the same level and mm-hmm. dealing with people. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just love mm-hmm. people. <laughs> i do Uh, especially if they're young younger than me i wish
0: i i really wish i had like the privilege that Pamela Mm -hmm. had of like being in your class and being at that i just that i have
1: a lot of people i still mentor some of them are older Mm -hmm. i still do a lot um Mm -hmm. thing and people just talk to me on zoom or Mm -hmm. they think they're going crazy so i they all know i'm crazy so they call (laughs) me to talk (laughs) because i say i'm crazy um but it's Also, I tell more people who I see are on balance, you know, just it's okay to be on balance, too. Mm -hmm. They don't allow you to be and support you on either side. And Mm -hmm. that's what people need. I know when I was young, I should have got support, proper support. I never got it. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't know how to, they didn't know, they were scared and stuff and things of me, my sisters, everybody. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for me it's like just supporting people where they're at and helping them m- when they're ready to move forward move forward with mm. them you know if they want to stay where they are leave them and explain i can't stay here with you mm. i have to move forward when you're ready call up and i will stretch my hand behind and pull you up everybody mm. should pull everybody up wow it
0: is that's very beautiful that's a beautiful way to end thank you so much thank you're thank welcome you. thank you so much thank Anna. you, thank you. Thank you for listening to With Open Mouths. Special thanks to our guests Winsome Winsome and Pamela Matharu for speaking with us today. This podcast is hosted by myself, Dr. Kanita Lella, and produced by Agnes Etherington Art Centre in partnership with Queen's University's campus radio station CFRC 101.9FM. The music is composed by Jamil 3DN and produced by Elroy EC3 Cox III. Episodes of With Open Mouths are released monthly and you can find them on Digital Agnes, CFRC's website and on your favourite podcasting platform. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and subscribe now so that you don't miss a single episode. We'll see you next time.